Open up your Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to find ourselves. We've come into the last chapter of the book of Ephesians. We've had a couple of week break, but to be honest, uh, the subject matter isn't changing or the focus isn't changing. We have uh, talked about the fact that when we live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it should change us. And no place is that change more evident, no place is that change more obvious, no place is that change more desperately needed than in our homes. It's why I've entitled the last uh, couple of uh, uh, messages from the first part, last part of chapter five on, light in the home. And as has been mentioned this morning, it's been kind of the theme of our sharing time this morning. Uh, this is where it hits us, right? We are husbands and we are wives and we are children, we are parents. We live in homes with people and things uh, get difficult sometimes. Things uh, we hurt each other. We say things we shouldn't. We act in ways we shouldn't to each other. We uh, are selfish with our, uh, ourselves. We want to do what we want to do. We want to get what we want to get. I only heard one little amen there. That was, that was pretty quiet. <laughs> it's true for every one of you. It's true for me. We want to get what we want to get. And even when we live a resurrected life, the old man wants to continue to rise up what Paul has been telling us, and what we're going to continue to talk about this morning, what Paul has been telling us is when the old man comes out of, uh, out of the ground again or wants to rise up, then, then we are actually walking in darkness. We may think we're not. We may not see it. It's a little bit what Karen was talking about this morning, where you suddenly have this understanding where I just understand something I didn't know before. It's, it's this, this divide, darkness and light. Jesus, remember his warning? If our eye is letting in things it shouldn't, and if that light that's in us is actually darkness, how dark is that really? Because that's, where, that's, that's talking to us as believers, that when we think we're walking in light and there's actually darkness in there, it's why we must always, always, always be willing to let him pierce us with his word, his Holy Spirit, to move and search us out to find out if there's still any darkness in us. We're not to walk in darkness as we used to walk. We used to walk in that place, but praise God, we're not there anymore. We are walking as children of light, and it makes a difference. It means something in us. So we're gonna read the first four verses of uh, Ephesians chapter six today, and we're gonna spend some time with these verses. Uh, they're gonna, we're gonna continue on from where we talked about husbands and wives and the relationship of marriages. And, 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 and again, I love how God did this. I didn't plan it out this way, but in, in, around those times we talked about, we had Mother's Day, we had Father's Day. In the middle of all that, we're talking about discipleship, and so it makes perfect sense now to read verses one to four of Ephesians chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father God, I thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your inspired word that is useful for, as Chris referred to in his prayer, is useful for us. And I pray that it would be made useful to us this morning. Useful meaning that it would change who we are. It, it would reveal to us if there's things that are not correct, if there's thought patterns, if there's something going on in our head that's not correct. It would reveal to us if there's something in our practice that doesn't match up with what we say we believe. Or perhaps it would reveal to us the truth that in the gospel, there is the power to live 
above our flesh, but that we have to walk in that, that we have to make decisions, that we have to feed our new man, not our old man, so that we can walk in the light. That if that's what we're struggling this morning, that I want those things, but I'm not sure how to get there, that you this morning would be instructing us, would be training us, would be correcting us, would be shaping us, Holy Spirit, to be obedient to your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's really two parts to the sermon this morning. You have a handout on the backside of your bulletin if you care to follow along and take down notes. Every reference that I uh, had planned to share is on there somewhere, or at least it's going to show up there somewhere. There may be some that sneak in. But uh, we're going to talk about light in the home. The first part focuses on children. The second part is going to focus on parents. So let's jump in. Actually, the children part's pretty simple. There's not a lot of stuff to explain, and I'm sorry to the children that are sitting here. I, you know, when I say I'm sorry, I often don't mean I'm sorry. I just mean I'm, I, I realize that it may be difficult, and, and I'm sorry that it may be difficult, but it doesn't change what it says. It's pretty straightforward, right? Actually, it's up on the screen. You can see it there. The role of children that are living in a home that is filled with light, this is what it is. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Period. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing our abilities as humans. And I talk about this quite a bit, so you probably, it's not news to if you've heard me preach before. But it's amazing our ability as humans to want to justify ourselves and want to find the gray areas and want to find where the lines go and, and, and want, to, that want to bring up specific scenarios and want to say, well, what about this? And well, what about this? And well, surely in this scenario, I'm okay. And there's times when we come to these places in Scripture that there's just not really a way for me to soften it or to give gray area or to say, well, I I don't know about this or to, to give caveats or to do any kind of stuff like that. When we read the text, that's what it says. Children, if you're a child here today, children, you are to obey your parents in the Lord, for that's right. not a whole lot else I have to say about that, right? I mean, it's really hard to do, isn't it? Go back to what I said in my opening when I was just saying some things that, like, all of us struggle because we want to do what we want to do. Your parents, if you're a child here today, if you're, your parents are no different, but you are no different either, which means you want to do what you want to do. So lots of times when the instructions come from your parents that you don't like, you don't want to obey that. But Scripture is very clear that when God made husbands and wives that we just talked about, and then we talked about fathers and mothers because we talked about on those holidays and we talked about how it intersected with our theme of discipleship, if the goal out of that is to bring about godly offspring, then the means to doing that is for children to walk in obedience to their parents. For this, this is implied that parents have an intentionality or, or want to raise disciples and they want to train their children, which means children should be obedient to it. Now, this theme is obviously well represented in Scripture. I could bring lots and lots of verses out. I'm just going to share a couple of them. I want to show you that, that, first of all, Scripture says it, show you that Jesus did it, and then tell you the basis where Paul got this line from. Now, I could bring up lots of verses. I'm gonna, I, this, this struck me because the book of Proverbs is a book full of wisdom. And in many cases, it is actually a dad who is imparting instruction to his son. 
So this is how he begins it. He says, hear my son, well, it's the eighth verse in, but it's pretty close to the beginning. Hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. It's like he's saying in a different way, he's saying, hey, you're my child and you should obey me in the Lord for this is right. Now, interestingly enough, he expands that just a couple of chapters later in chapter 4. If you'd go read, I put the references there. I'm not going to read them this morning. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. He actually says some similar things, expands on that. He actually says almost the exact same thing in chapter 6, verse 20. The same thing. My son, hear me. Listen to me. I'm instructing you. Listen to me. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. And, of course, there's lots of Proverbs sprinkled through that apply to children and to parents, Right? Train up a child in the way he should go. Don't withhold uh, discipline from a child or he'll be disgraced to his mother. All those things. It's chock full. But I want you to see, not only can you read verse after verse, but Jesus himself came and applied it. It's very interesting. You remember the scene where, where Jesus, uh, they go with his family, they, 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 they leave him in Jerusalem, they're traveling home, they forget him. You, you know the story, right? He's in the temple. Why did Luke insert this? But he says this. On the way home, it says, And Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, which would be his parents. So Jesus demonstrated to us as children, this is what it looks like. Now, this is one of those places where, and I'm, I'm a dad, right? I have seven children, and it gets pretty hair-raising in our house sometimes. It gets pretty frustrating in our house sometimes. Because my children don't obey perfectly. I don't know if, if you thought they do, but they don't. And I'm not, I'm not sharing news. I'm not, it, this is not one of those situations where you're like, well, you got to be careful as a dad, if you're a pastor, you got to be careful as a dad what you say about your kids, you know, in front of the church. I hope my children know this well enough. I can tell you they don't obey perfectly. Because no kids do. Right? Because I don't. Right? But, as parents... Or maybe I should say this to children. Kids, listen. Your parents should not have to bribe you or they should not have to, like, like, cajole you if you know, you don't even know what that word means. They shouldn't have to try to, like, like to talk and talk and talk and try to talk you into something to have you do something. That's not how it's supposed to work. Your parents will not get everything right. They will make some mistakes. They will ask you to do something sometimes that was not the correct decision. That does not change the fact that you should obey them when you, they ask you to do something. Now, I, perhaps the one caveat I can give you is it's pretty clear he says you should obey them in the Lord, which means if your parents are asking you to do things that are anti-biblical, if once you grow up and know what the Bible teaches, you, you, you can probably uh, have some room to talk about what, that, what they're asking you to do, whether, whether that's biblical or not. But that is exactly the case of what I'm talking about where we want to talk about exceptions. Well, what if they ask me to go beat up my brother? Well, when's the last time your dad asked you to go beat up your brother? How likely is that to happen? And I'm also talking to parents in a little bit, but I'm also talking from the frame of reference of Scripture of the bar that God is setting, which means we're not talking about those exceptions. We're just laying out the foundation that Paul says, according to Scripture, from the very beginning when God met Moses on the mountain, he said, honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You know, part of those, those things we call the Ten Commandments, sort of the, the, the things that, that are the undergirding all the other commands that came out. Now, we know they hang on two, 
right? Jesus filled that in for us to hang on to. We should love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And we should love our neighbor as yourself. But all those, actually, those 10 hang on those. And everything else comes out of those 10 commandments. Everything else is expressed in those. And among those, you find this commandment that God says, for children, it is right. It is fitting. It is a blessing. It is what I want to see, God speaking. It is what I want to see, is that parents raise their children and children obey their parents. They honor them that it may go well with you. And I'm going to make a statement about that a little later, but I'm going to hang on to that for now. I'm going to tell you a little story before we go to the second part. I found this little story, and I don't know, I, I, I'm a little bit, I get a little nerdy sometimes, so I, I pick a little thing, and it sort of jumps out at me, and I follow this thread, and I'm sitting at my desk, and I wake up, well, I don't wake up, I, mean, I don't fall asleep, but I'm, like, I'm, I come to in a little bit, and I'm like, man, I went, I went miles from where this message was supposed to go, and sometimes it, that's all it is, right? I, it's a cool little information for me, and I tuck it away somewhere, and off it goes. Sometimes it makes its way into a sermon. I'm going to talk to you about these people called the Rechabites, the Rechabites, very interesting scenario. If you go back in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a, the weeping prophet, right? They're under all kinds of pressure. Life has been obliterated for them. Uh, there's there's these, these people, uh, the, the Babylonians, they're, they're pressing in and they've already taken some of them away and, and life is not good. And one day, God gives this, I mean, this is my phrasing. One day, God gives this weird instruction to Jeremiah. He says, go find those Rechabites. Go find the sons, the children of the Rechabites and bring them to you, bring them in the temple. There was a, one of the rooms of the temple, not the main part, but one of the rooms of the temple. Invite them in and set some wine out in front of them and invite them to drink. And I'm going, what is going on? Like, like God, don't you have better things to talk to Jeremiah about than that? Right? And he brings these guys in and they sit down and he put this, this table forward. He puts wine on there and he puts, he wants them to, to he said, Invi I'm inviting you, go ahead and drink. And they look at him and they say this. Jeremiah 35, 6. They answered and they said, We will drink no wine, for Yonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, You shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons forever. And he goes, That's interesting. So here's a set of children that were pretty obedient, right? Because when the prophet comes and invites you to sit down and tells you to drink, and you look at the man of God and say, No, my dad told me not to. But here's the thing. You see, they mention this guy, Yonadab, the son of Rechab, and they call him their father. And you might think that, that this guy like, was still living maybe or was you know, just recently deceased and they're like, this is you know, dear to my heart. So we're not gonna... Do you want to know when Yonadab, the son of Rechab, lived? If you go about 300 years earlier, you read about him in, in the book of 2 Kings. Remember, this, you, know, you know who Ahab, he's the wicked king of Israel, and he's got this wife who's even more wicked, Jezebel. And a man named Yehu was given the instruction by God to eventually bring judgment to Ahab's family. And he's going around and he's wiping out the entire family of Ahab because that's what God told him to do. And he's on his way in his chariot and he meets this guy named Yonadab, the son of Rechab. And he looks at him and he says, is your heart strong toward the Lord? And Rechab, or the Yonadab says, yes. And he gives him his hand. He says, then you come with me. He brings him to the chariot and off they go. And we don't read any more about it. But this is the guy. So hold on, hold on. Somewhere way down, like around 300 years down the road, Jeremiah brings these descendants of this guy into a room and says, hey guys, have some wine. And they say, nope, can't do it. 
Our forefathers said, none of us are ever to have wine. And we won't do it. Now, if you continue reading in Jeremiah 35, you realize why God does this. All of this is for God to make a point. Isn't it crazy what God will do? Isn't it crazy how God will use your life to make a point when you have no idea? I mean, are you willing to, for that to happen? If so, you better find ways to be obedient to him because that's, that's what's happening here, right? God says, if you keep reading it in Jeremiah verse 35, he's speaking through Jeremiah and he says this to them. He says, the sons of Yonadab, the son of Rechab, have kept the command that their father gave them, but this people has not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I'm bringing upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster I've pronounced against them because I've spoken to them and they have not listened. I have called to them and they have not answered. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Yonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done all that he commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Yonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. Isn't that incredible? How one man and his sons and the obedience that came out of that family, and years later, God says, I will show you why I have a problem with people of Israel. Because they listened to their dad, and we are generations down the road. And I have talked to you and called you and begged of you, and you refuse to listen to me. Now, I share that story this morning because we're in the middle of Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. That starts off by saying, children, obey your parents, for this is right. In the Lord, this is right. And it's going to come to the next part, which is going to say, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the instruction, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Because the story of Yonadab the Rechabite is exactly the story of a man and parents who raised their children and gave them instruction and of children who were obedient to that. It can be done. It can be done. I know that there's lots of other people going other ways. There's lots of other families that say that's not for us. There's lots of other pressures and there's lots of other things. And well, we just can't do that in our household. But it can be done. It's a little bit like Jesus saying, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many are on it. Narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it. If there's anything that God wants us to know from this year's theme of discipleship, I believe it has to begin in this place. It has to begin with us as individuals, of course, but it must then go into our households, our families, our homes, and we must be willing to buck the trend of how everyone else raises families and what everyone else does. I know it's a lot easier to not to give in to your kids all the time. I know it's a lot easier. Because it's tiring. And sometimes I just want to have my own space. And sometimes I'm just tired of having to correct them again. But it comes out so simply, I can't deny it. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And then, 
Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Now, let me make this statement before I jump in anywhere else. I believe because we've just come through Ephesians chapter 5, the last couple of verses, and it's very clear that what God is after is that there's a unity. There's a oneness that happens between husband and wife, right? Like they become one. In fact, that's literally what Scripture says, right? Two shall become one. So this admonition to fathers, I don't think this leaves mothers out of the picture. I don't think it's like, well, this is a dad's job, and, and mom gets to just skate off in the sunset and have nothing to do with this. I, they're one. I mean, if you're addressing the fathers, you're addressing both of them because they're one. Now, it is the fathers, I believe, because of the picture that's being painted with our marriages, right? If the fathers are to represent, if husbands are to represent Jesus and the wives are to represent the church in this picture, then it makes sense. Let me ask you, church, who's ultimately responsible to raise godly uh, disciples out of, out, of, out of people? Who's ultimately responsible? Who's, who's, who's really the job? Who's, who's, who's really going to do that work? Who's going to do it? Let's make sure, let's make sure that our, our theology is right. Who's ultimately responsible for raising disciples? God is. Jesus is. Now, he wants our help. He wants us to work with him. He gives us the privilege of working with him. He asks us to come alongside. He says, this is, I, I want you to be a witness. I want you, to, you are my ambassadors, is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. You're my ambassadors for Christ. I'm making my appeal through you that all of you would become right with God. But ultimately, it is the Lord of the harvest who will bring souls to him. That's, I believe, why it says fathers don't provoke your children to anger because they're representing Jesus and it's ultimately Jesus. And fathers are to have the, 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 the onus is on us, fathers. Now, but our wives are one with us. So it's really, we could say parents to the, to this, the rest of this message here. Let me get into the rest of that verse because that's really where we want to go. Because we're not supposed to provoke them to anger. We're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to stir them and bring frustration about in our children. We're not supposed to, to, to be the cause of why they're frustrated and upset and they're, and they're, and they're having trouble dealing with the world because, because there's all this stuff going on and, and my mom and dad aren't helping them or aren't, aren't doing anything. We're not supposed to bring any of that. That's, we're supposed to be the opposite. We're supposed to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Make a couple, let me make a couple connections for you real quick here. The word to, for bring them up is the Greek word ekstrepho, which you don't need to know that word. It's the same word if you let your eye travel back up to verse 29 in chapter 5. A husband, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ as the church. Speaking of husbands, nourishing and cherishing their own body, they should also nourish and cherish their wives. That word nourish is ekstrepho, to raise them up. It's kind of an interesting use for one translation, nourish, or one word, nourish, and then to uh, bring them up. But it means to, to raise them up. It means to bring them alongside, bring them up. So fathers are not to provoke them to anger, but they're to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And it's with those two words I want to spend the rest of our time. The word discipline is the word paedaya. Paedaya. It means to instruct, to train, or to educate. Now, when you usually hear the word discipline, often that can be a negative thing because we think of the negative side of discipline. We think of the negative reinforcement role of discipline, which, by the way, does exist. There's a negative reinforcement side to discipline. We ought to, I hope we know this, parents, fathers, we ought to know that there's also a positive reinforcement side to discipline. That there's a whole lot about training and educating that doesn't have to do with spanking or with negative consequences. It has to do with encouragement. It actually has to do with communication. Do you know how many times that I have uh, had to realize my mistake in raising my own children because I have punished them for something that I realized later they did not clearly understand what I wanted them to do? How unfair is that, right? They didn't know what they were supposed to do, and then I got mad at them because they didn't do it. Man, I'm 
sure glad God doesn't operate that with me, that way with me. We are to train or educate. It is our mandate. It is our mandate, fathers, parents. It is our mandate to train and educate our children, to raise them up. This word shows up all over the New Testament, all over. In fact, I'm going to start off with a passage where it shows up like half a dozen times in as many verses as that. If you want to turn there, you can, or you can just listen. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. Again, you're going to hear these words, and we often think it has to do with like negative punishment stuff. I would submit to you, it does not have to do with just that. That's not what God does to us all the time. Let me, let me pick up here. Verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Notice the connection he's going to try to make between, between discipline, between instruction, between piadiah, and between being a son or a daughter. He says, he's quoting, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. It's a good thing. That's what he's saying. It's a good thing. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I want to be God's son. The point of the, of the text here is that that means it naturally follows that because he loves me, he's going to train me. He's going to educate me. He's going to discipline me. Besides this, in verse 9, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. I wish that we could always connect those words together. That when we feel chastened or disciplined or corrected by God, or even by some other people sometimes, I appreciate your words this morning, Nate, about the role of wives and the advice they give. I, I, I identify 100% with wanting to not listen and realizing what a beauty, what a, what a precious thing God has given me in my wife's advice. But to connect those two things together, that when we are being corrected in some way, that what God wants out of that is for us to grow, is for us to, to, to improve. It's for our betterment. Because I've, the first thing I want to do is I would get defensive, right? And I think it's not right, and I want to justify myself. If I could get to the place where every time I'm corrected in something, that I would immediately go to God and say, if there's truth in here, where there's truth in this, I want to change. I want to be different. I don't want to be like that. Oh, how that would change how I interact with people. Listen to what he says in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't have time to go into this morning, but I could give you example after example that all the rest of us accept with no question in our lives about how we understand that if we want something good to happen, it may require some pain. It may require us sacrificing. It may require a little training and discipline. We, you could go to hundreds of sports examples. You could go to all kinds of work examples. You could do all, and why do we accept every one of those? And then when it comes to God wanting to discipline us in our spiritual lives, we say, ah, oh, God is such a mean God. Why? 
Or when someone walks up to us and says, hey, I don't think you're seeing this correctly. I think you're, I, I'm not sure this is right. And we say, oh, you're just harsh and critical. You're just legalistic. Why? I understood as a runner when I was, a, when I was running all the time, I understood that there were sacrifices I had to make. And then I pushed my body till it was in pain often. And I willingly did it because I realized that there's a goal at the end and I will win races if I punish myself now. And it was worth it. I thought it was worth it at the time anyway. But why are we not willing to take the same approach to our spiritual lives or with our children? Why are we not willing to make sure that they can endure some things that may not feel too good because we know there's an ultimate prize down the road? The saddest part about making ourselves have a life or having our children have a life that is as pain-free as possible is that we will experience all of the most massive amount of pain at the very end when it's too late. I think you understand what I mean when I say that. I hope you understand what I mean when I say that. A few other places this word piety shows up. I love it because this connects it to a word that we don't usually connect with discipline and training and those kind of things. Titus 2, 11 and 12, some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. But the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We love that. We love that God's grace showed up and brought Jesus to us and brought grace to us that we can be saved from our sins, something we did not deserve. We love it. But look what the next word says. The grace of God trains us. That's the word paideia. It disciplines us. It instructs us. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, right now, in our culture, in the midst of all the junk we're dealing with. The grace of God does that to us, for us. You see, we think grace is this great big picker-upper after we've messed up, and it is. But when were we going to start realizing that grace is given to us that we don't ever have to be picked up in that way? That grace allows us to walk in freedom. We sang about it this morning. Did you mean it? Is it a reality? The grace of God has appeared that's training us, it's instructing us. Again, I love that putting that together. The grace, the wonderful warm fuzzies we get with grace and realize that it comes into our lives to train us, to discipline us, to instruct us. This is why we should see that it's more than just negative. It's also positive. It's encouragement. One other place that shows up, and I like this because it tells us where we're gonna get our instruction from. These were actually quoted for you this morning. My kids could quote them to you today because we learned it in school this year. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training, piadia, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's the function of the word of God. It's useful. It's fitting. This is what, if we're going to give instruction to our children, if we're going to discipline our children in the Lord, I'm going to tell you, this is where you find what, what you should be doing. This is, these are the principles you're instilling. This is, this is the God you're revealing to them. The way you should be behaving with them and the way they should be, you should be teaching, training them to behave. Time moves on. Let me keep going to the second word. The second word there, we're supposed to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If you can read that text there, it's the word nuthesia, nuthesia. It means to call attention to. Now, it's actually made up of two words, nous, which means the mind, and tithemi, which means to place or to set somewhere. So literally what that word means, it means to place in the mind. That parents, fathers, are to place in our children's minds things of the Lord. 
That's literally what it means. This word actually is not show up all over the Bible. Now, forms of it show up pretty close. Uh, pretty close forms of it show up. Nuthateho is a word that shows up quite a bit in the, in the New Testament, which means to warn, uh, warn somebody or to uh, rebuke them. Uh, that's, this word does carry us a, a bit of a, a, a mild rebuke or warning. This is a correction. You're supposed to call to mind. One of the places this word does show up in the New Testament, Paul uses it in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter. He's giving them some examples in the history lesson, right? He says, remember way back then, you guys know this history, you're Jews. Way back then, they came out of, out of slavery in Egypt, and then they had this time of grumbling. And they, 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 they gave up on God, and they wanted to go back. How many times? And God was going to punish them, and then he would punish them. Some of them died. They say, oh, we're sorry. They keep on going. And Moses got exasperated because they, just were, they were just, just awful children. And they were doing just... And he says, all those things happened, and, and most, well, all of those of the first generation, none of them got to the promised land because of their lack of faith. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, now these things happened to them as an example. So the punishments and the, and the things that happened, it happened to them as an example back there. But they were written down for our instruction, and that word instruction is nuthesia, to bring to our minds on whom the end of the ages has come. In other words, God is saying all the things that happened in the Old Testament and really most of Scripture for us today, but all those things that happened, they were examples to them and they were to learn who God was from that. However, they were written down to bring to our minds to who God is and how we should respond to him and what he wants from us and, and, and the ways that we are acceptable response and the ways that aren't. They bring them to mind. Now, although the exact word isn't used a lot, the concept is there, Right? that parents are to call to mind and to bring to mind and to place in our children's minds. For example, you could read the opening chapters of Deuteronomy. I'm just gonna share a verse here from there. Deuteronomy 4, verse nine. God says to them, only take care and keep your soul diligently. Keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. How easy we forget. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And then look what he says. Make them known to your children and your children's children. This idea of passing on down what God has done, what you've seen God do in your life. I'm telling you, parents, this should be the refrain that comes out of our mouths. And according to this verse, not just parents, but grandparents, the refrain that comes out of our mouths that our children hear us speak of the things the Lord has done all the time. And I would suggest it would be good to even include a few times when the Lord had to train and discipline me, right? The places that I messed up and God said, that's not what I want. And I had to humble myself. And then the joy that came from repentance and from receiving the, the freshness and the newness of salvation again. Those things should be communicated because you know, you know that your children will face a time when they've made a mistake and they feel awful and they don't know what to do with it. And unless they've heard their parents say, when this happens to me, I go to God and he's always waiting for me and he's always going to receive me with open arms. And when I repent and confess those things, then, then the Holy Spirit comes and makes me to know that I am his child. If they don't know that, they won't know what to do with it. This is what it means to bring your children up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. That they hear what God has done in your life. That they know who God is. And we are just so much more enthused with making sure they get good educations, making sure they get on the right sports teams, making sure they figure out all the right skills to have, making sure we position them right, making sure, well, heaven forbid that they're upset because they don't have the right toys, they don't have the latest gaming system, they don't have... 
It does not matter. In fact, you're going against the goal, I think, of what Scripture tells us to do. Psalm 78. Let me just read these real quick for you. This is the heartbeat of what God wants. The psalmist wrote these words. He's talking about that he's going to be willing to talk about things that God does. And he says in verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, to t- but to tell... Sorry, let me start again. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hopes in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." The reality is children make their decisions, right? When they get old, right, parents? Children make their decisions, and you're no longer responsible for those decisions. But the reality also is that if we want to grumble under our breath and talk about how this generation that's coming just doesn't all this stuff, then I think the onus or the blame lies more on us than it does on them. According to these verses, the purpose of us making sure that our children and our children's children and everyone's children know who God is and what he has done, that there's a testimony set up of who God is in their lives. That, that, that's on us. That's on us. You know, I don't have time to go into a lot of detail with this this morning, but in, in our marriage part, I talked about how the old man kind of pops back up. And I think it's worth talking about that a little bit in this context as well. Let me talk first to children. Children paying attention? I know it's been a long morning. You got lots of toys there where you're at probably or something going on. But the best, the, the, the most obvious way that the old man shows up, kids, in your lives as children is that you want to be rebellious and disobedient to your parents. That you want to just fulfill what's in here, your flesh that you want to do. And very clearly that's not what the Bible wants. That's not what Jesus wants. It's not what God wants. He wants you to obey your parents. This is what's right. One of the roles, children, are you still listening? One of the jobs or roles that your parents have is to help you see the, what should become the old man so that you can put on the new man. To help you see where those responses are against God and not honoring to him. So that you can learn how to put off the old man hopefully as they have put off the old man. You're following their example. Now to parents, let me just make a couple of comments as well. I think one of the ways the old man shows up in parents is I do think that, let me make this comment, I do think from my experience, maybe it's just part of my cultural background, some of the ways it's been abused, but I do think that we sometimes, we, we misequivocate, we put the two together where we think honor and obey mean the exact same thing. And they don't exactly. So while your children are in your home, they are to obey you. That's very clear. I believe, Scripture's clear, it's in the Ten Commandments, I believe they are actually to honor you their entire lives. But there are ways to honor people and not obey them. I hope you understand that. For us to hold consistently our teaching, our belief that when a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves into his wife and the two become one flesh, for us to honor that, for us to be consistent with that, I believe it means that parents, we have to recognize that our adult children, 
while called to honor us, are not required to obey us. They will do some things differently. They will make some different decisions in their families. And I can tell from on my side as of a past, pastor's seat that plenty of issues arise in marriages when there's not a proper separation between parents and children in a new marriage or in a marriage. If you have questions about that, I don't want to, that's not the major point of today. I just think it's worth you thinking, making sure. And maybe part of it's, again, because of my cultural background where I've had that of being abused where adult children are told they should obey their parents if their parents want them to do something. And I don't think that's biblical. Or adult children, yeah, adult children. I think I said that wrong. Adult parents. Most parents are adults. <laughs> Let me make one more statement. Fathers, parents in general, but fathers. The admonition here is that we not provoke our children to anger. And I think it's worth us recognizing that we can provoke our children to anger in two very major ways that are sort of opposite sides of the spectrum. On one hand, we can be very harsh and critical, and that leaves a child very frustrated because they can never please their father or their parents. They can never get it right. It leaves them feeling like they're never going to be good enough for God. We can provoke our children by being harsh and critical. We can equally provoke our children to anger by not giving them any instruction or discipline at all. Do you hear what I'm saying? If we say that we're not going to be harsh or critical and we refuse to give them any instruction at all or any discipline at all, or we've refused to provide any, any kind of boundaries for them at all or any kind of upbringing or any kind of training at all, we will also provoke our children to anger because it leaves them very frustrated because they don't know what they should be doing. Can I say one more thing? I know you've, you've... Two phrases popped up. Children are to honor their parents, obey their parents in the Lord, and fathers are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to remind us that this is Jesus' work. This is Jesus' work. Very well-known verse from Isaiah 53, 5. I want you to see this this morning. If you're a parent... I want it to change the way that I parent and that we parent. The Bible's very clear that he was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. You see that word chastisement? From what translation you're reading this morning, that word discipline that I was referring to, Piedaya, came across as chastisement every single time. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. I am so incredibly grateful that Jesus took my sins my iniquities upon him. But I want us to see this morning as parents that when your children disobey and when your children sin, as they're going to do, that Jesus also took that punishment upon himself already. Their, their, their iniquities, their, the peace that they need, that chastisement was placed on Jesus Now, it's our job to help them see that and understand that. But I think it should change because I think too many times when I'm frustrated and upset with my children, it is because of what they've done to me. 
which is completely not theologically correct in anything else we ever say in Scripture. Because when we sin, we sin first and foremost against who? Against God. David said that, right? Against you and you alone have I sinned. Which means our children's disobedience is first and foremost a sin against God's standard of righteousness. But Jesus paid for that. And our job is to help them see that what they just committed, Jesus paid for. They need to ask him for forgiveness. And when I'm disciplining out of my flesh, because I'm mad at how they made me look like or that, what that, how that reflects on me or what I, then I am destroying the gospel picture in their minds. And that's a sure way to provoke my child to anger. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As I often say, and I want to just say it again this morning, uh, I, I, I mean this with everything I have, Jesus, Holy Spirit. I so want you to be teaching and instructing me and in teaching and instructing us that your word is coming through. And I pray that you, by your, your Holy Spirit, by, by, by the, your Holy Spirit's power, if I can get that said right, I pray that by your Holy Spirit's power, God, that the things that came from you out of your text this morning, the things you needed us to hear, that you bring them home and you, you settle them in our hearts and our minds and you help them to take effect and take root and, and bring forth fruit. And there's things that came out of my mouth that, that, were, that were not right or that were uh, we're, 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 do, uh, we're undoing something or I don't, whatever the chaos might be, would you just strike them from, our rec- from the record? And if there's something you want me to correct, I, I'm fine if you let me know that through someone or through, just through your, through your spirit and I want to have the humility to confess that I wasn't right. Oh God, I, this is one of those areas I, I, just like with husbands and wives, I need your help so desperately and we want to be, we want to learn from you We want to be trained by your word. We want to be led by your Holy Spirit. We want your light to shine in us that people may see our good deeds and give glory to you, God. Our children, those around us, may you be glorified and praised in Jesus' name, amen.